reading of Scripture and having read the passage earlier in the service, I just want to read the end of our passage, which is our aim. Something can happen, as Peter's been describing, and the result is this, the end of verse 21 of 1 Peter chapter 1, so that your faith and hope are in God. Let's pray together. Oh, that our hope and faith would be in our faithful God. Great is your faithfulness. It is Jesus, only Jesus, that we should hope in. But Father, you know us. As this passage teaches, you judge impartially. You know the real us. And you know that we tend to place our faith and hope in so many other places. So would you use the next um, bit of time that our faith and hope really would be in Christ? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, of course, you may be seated. Uh, We get pretty good at uh, putting on the outside what it is we want people to see about us, right? Can we agree on that? In fact, you probably remember some times in your life when the real you was seen by other people. I I think I've shared this story before, but I have a moment like that where people saw the real me. When Julie and I were living in Memphis, Tennessee, I went to work for FedEx. Uh, the worldwide headquarters of FedEx is in Memphis, Tennessee. And, and so I was working an overnight job from about 11 in the evening to about 4 in the morning. And uh, it's busy and it's hopping at the FedEx hub, Memphis, Tennessee, every night of the week. And uh, you're at the airport. Planes are landing. They're coming and they're going. It's busy. And 22 or so years old, I got there and was a little bit intimidated, just truthfully. And did not know exactly what was expected of me and did not know exactly what I was supposed to be doing. So they put me on an input line, which is you're going to bring all these boxes up on the tug. You're going to fast is the key word, FedEx. Quickly get as many boxes as you can and keep things moving. So we got there the first night and... uh, and again, I want to make a good impression and be a good worker and was a little anxious. So I picked out this man who seemed to me like he knew what he was doing. That was my strategy. He knows what he's doing. I'm just going to follow him and do what he does. And so uh, we're on the clock. The tugs are about to start moving, but they gather everybody, the whole team up, 40 of us or so. And uh, I start following this man. Wherever he goes, I'm just, I'm not too close on him. You know what I mean? I don't want to be weird about it. But, you know, some distance. and and, And so he stops, and I stop kind of where he is. And he starts to stretch, so I start to stretch. And when I come up from my stretch... I look out and I see he's the stretch leader. And what I've done is I've stood beside him as kind of co-stretch leader. And now, first night, you know, when you talk about about first impressions, right? I can look at everybody's face and they're saying, who is this guy? And what is he doing there? So the next, every stretch we do, we're going down, you know, stretching out. So every stretch, I'm taking a step and I'm taking a step until eventually I'm, but what happened? The real me was on display. The me that doesn't know what he's doing, doesn't know what he's supposed to be doing, and everybody could see it. Now, you can live one of two lives. You you can go through life kind of learning how everybody else will never see the real you, and we're really good at that. Can we be honest? Really good at that. Because I'm willing to... um, say that there's probably things in your life right now nobody else knows about. 
some struggles going on that the people who know you best don't actually know this is your real struggle. And the reason I'm emphasizing this is because what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1 and what God wants to do in your life is about the real you. Not the you that you learned, this is the me that I put forth in front of everybody so they'll like me or think I'm not weird or, you know. This is the good news of the gospel. The, the God of all creation knows the real you. And he loves the real you. So the good news is, of all places, oh, Lord help us, of all places, this, where we're right now, should be where we don't pretend. We have real needs, and God has real provision, but I want to talk to the real you about the real Jesus. So my aim this morning is a couple of things, the next 30 minutes or so, that if you do not believe in Jesus, you do not follow him, that at the end of the message, you will want to. Because I believe anybody who sees Jesus as he really is will say, I'll give up everything and follow him. And second... If you do believe in Jesus, you are a follower of Jesus, that in the next 30 minutes, you will be renewed and revived in knowing how wonderful it really is to belong to Jesus. For none of us, none of us have fully apprehended how awesome he really is. So here's the question. How are we going to do that? How are we going to do that where if you don't belong to Jesus, you'll want to. And if you do belong to Jesus, you'll be revived and renewed and, and remembering and appreciating and loving how great it is to belong to him. As I'm going to just talk to you about how he really is. It's going to tell you about Jesus, how he and who he really is. But if we're going to achieve that aim together, again, I want you to know we're talking about the real Jesus and the real you. Not talking to the outwardly okay you, the kind of got things together you, talking about the inwardly struggling you. Can we talk for a moment? The inwardly angry you, the, the, the irritated on the inside you, or, or the inwardly doubting you. Is all this stuff we're talking about really true? I want to talk to that you. I want to talk to the, if I were honest, I wouldn't really be here if I was doing what I wanted to do right now, you. I want to talk to that you. And I want you to know that, see, here's, here's how the Bible uh, shows it to us. From the get-go with Jesus, here's, what, here's how it happened. Man, we're coming up on Christmas season. Anybody? I've, I've asked this a couple of times. Have anybody already listening to your Christmas music? Anybody broken that out yet? I'm really trying not to because every year I say you started too early and then by the time you're really at Christmas. But we're about to get to Christmas. About to get to Christmas. Here's the testimony of Scripture. She brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger. For there was, who knows what it says, no room for them in the inn. From the get-go, this is what Scripture says. We're the ones who don't have any room for him. Luke chapter 2, you can go and read it. The reason that Joseph was going to Bethlehem was that Caesar Augustus had issued a decree that all the world should be registered, right? So Joseph goes to his hometown. In other words, in other words... If anybody was going to have room for him, it would have been them. For Joseph was of the house and lineage of David. I'm going home. 
Almost home. Almost home. Oh, no, he's not home. He came to his own, and his own received him not. I don't have any room for him. The spaces were already full. Caesar's census had gone out. Everybody goes home to be registered. But she places him in a manger, for there was no place for them in the inn. And if I could just tell you this real quick on the basis of 1 Peter, what we're studying through, the world didn't have room for him. The world won't have room for them if you belong to Jesus. The world doesn't have really a place for you. So you can be freed up from trying to find a place here. You don't have a place here. This isn't home. We're heading home. But we're going to do some good to this place that has no room for us while we are here. So, this is good news. My, my whole eternity is on the basis of this. He doesn't treat us the way we treat him. Isn't that good news? He doesn't treat us the way we treated him. Got no room for you. That's what we said to him. Can I tell you what communion's about? Communion's about he does have room for you. He does have a place for you. He does have an open door for you. Not for you to go out and stay in the, <laughs> at the manger. No, you can come into the throne room. So, so let's, give some, let's make some room for Jesus this morning to give him some attention, to give him our attention. The, the world, here's the testimony of Scripture, the world offered Jesus a feeding trough for a crib, an old rug, rugged cross, and a borrowed tomb. That's what we offered to him. Jesus offers to us grace, ransom, redemption, life eternal, and according to 1 Peter chapter 1, his own precious blood. He's not treated us the way that we treated him. He does not respond to you the way that you have responded to him. He wants you to know he has room for you. Listen to me, friends. He's not, he's not tired. I'm tired. He's not tired. He's not tired of you. He's not fed up with you. He's not huffing in heaven. Do you know what the Bible says he is doing in heaven? Interceding on your behalf. Born, crucified, buried, resurrected, ascended, interceding. That's what the Bible says about Jesus. He's not ready to just give you a stern lecture about the mess of your life. Do you know what he's willing to say? You belong to me. And therefore, that's my mess. I want to clean it up. I'm going to come to you where I find you, but I love you enough not to leave you there. Julie said something the other day. She didn't even know she said this that I've, I've thought about several times. We were talking, we've got this baby on the way, right? I mean, paradigm shifting deal in my life. And I'm joyful. I'm joyful about it. And, and we were kind of teasing about um, some of our children were saying, I'll help change the baby. And that got to where it usually gets to, to my proven track record of not being great or uh, frequent in changing the baby's diaper. And then Julie just said something. She said, uh, just think about how much better the baby feels after the diaper is changed. Now, that actually motivates me to be maybe a better help in the fifth go around on this. How much better? A loving father doesn't leave the baby in the mess. A loving father brings help and that's what first Peter is saying so let's talk about the real Jesus for a moment to, to do that 
I want you to think about a couple of scenes with me that happened in the ministry of Jesus. Because here's, here's kind of the deal with us here in America in 2021. Aren't you conditioned constantly to have conditions placed on your value as a person? I mean, you're, you're just valuable if, and here, here's how it works. You're valuable if, maybe you're, if you're attractive. That's a pretty, that's a pretty uh, strong message in our culture. Have you noticed this? You go to the store, you're checking out, and here's a rack of magazines of the attractive. And the message, pretty strong, is you have value if you look like this. And on the other side are the Reese cups. And I stand there every time. I'm like, this is interesting, isn't it? Because to look like this, I can't eat that. Here's how it happens for me. I'm never going to look like that, so I'm going to, I'm going to grab this. That's how, it, that's how it happens, right? You're valuable if. You're valuable if you've got money. You're valuable if you're successful, and it's careful what you believe that means. You're valued by other people on the basis of you being useful to other people. So you're valuable to me. This is what I'm told. I don't know if you see it this way. You're valuable to me if you'll buy this, vote this, join this. How many of those emails did you get this week? Your life is valued on the basis of what you do for other people in a useful way. And here's how it works. Once your usefulness has been used up, you're discarded when your usefulness is well used. Give you an example. Woman caught in adultery, John chapter 8. Not valued as a human being created in the image of God. On one hand, valued for a physical relationship. Then caught in that relationship, she's now valuable to the, oh, this is heartbreaking, but it's true, valued by the religious moralists as a pawn to trap Jesus. So you think about her for a moment. She's put before Jesus by the Pharisees and say, hey, what are you going to do about this? So here's where she lives. She's trapped between, now I want to explain more fully so you hang with me, trapped between lawlessness and the law. The law says if she commits adultery, she should be killed. So, so in her heart, she's being told you're useful either in breaking the law, or you're only useful if you keep the law. That's a hard place to be trapped, isn't it? And that's where everybody's trapped. To either say, well, if I'm going to have any joy in life, I'll just have to forget the old law and live according to the sinful desires of my flesh. Or I'm only useful if I get my act together and start obeying that. So that's where, that's where a lot of people live. It's either this or that. Is there a third option? Yes! And his name is Jesus. He stands there too, doesn't he? And he does not see her as someone to be used. He sees her as family. Now, if you read that passage in John 8, Jesus starts to do an interesting thing. He starts to write on the dirt with his finger. You know, if you want to have a sun, fun Sunday afternoon, you get some Bible commentaries and see what people say about, you know, writing in the dirt and that sort of thing. But now this is, I don't know if this is accurate, but this is kind of what I think. The, the Old Testament says that it was the finger of God, right, that wrote out the law. And now here's the word become flesh, Jesus. And now he's riding in the dirt, right? Now he gave the law, and the law does say, do not commit adultery. 
But as we'll talk together, that was for our good, not for our shame. Because God wants to help us to see something. You know what God wants us to see? That we can't see. We can't see on our own. We, we, need, we need some help. Or you think about Peter. The law also says, do not bear false witness. And he's asked not once, not twice, three times as Jesus is on trial, do you know him? Now, I don't know him. I don't belong to him. Your accent, it sounds Galilean. Are you sure? You're not from around here. Don't you, aren't you one of his followers? I don't know him. And then the third time, and you remember the rooster crows and, uh, in the gospel accounts, at that moment, Jesus looks at Peter. And Peter, guess what he can do? He can see himself for the liar he, and the coward that he really is. Now, with Jesus, with the woman called in adultery, and Jesus with Peter in that moment, what is his heart towards them? Ready to give them a stern lecture about how they should get their act together or in grace saying, I'm going to cover the guilt of your sin. So you don't go on living in adultery, nor do you go on living and bearing false witness, but you go on in, in life having been reconciled to God through his grace. Well, from this passage here in First Peter in front of us this morning, I want to hopefully teach a few helpful things. But maybe a sort of the point over all the message this morning is the, the measure of your value is the cross of Christ. That's where you need to see this is where I get my worth from, my value from. How useful are you at the cross? You're not very useful, honestly. What, what, what's our, what's our uh, um, what do we bring? We bring our sin and our, and our shame. But Christ loves you on the basis of his own heart towards you. So uh, P- Peter, as I've studied his life, and we've studied through the Gospel of Mark, and he's a primary uh, source of the Gospel of Mark, and now in First Peter, he does seem to think that he's valuable so long as he could lead well, teach well, and be a greater disciple than all the other disciples. Remember, they went around arguing all the time which of them was the greatest. And then Peter was able to finally see, I think after the resurrection, the Holy Spirit comes, is that God doesn't use people. He ransoms them from futile ways of of living. Let's get this help from verse uh, 17. Uh, Peter writing, And if you call on him as Father, who judges impartially, According to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Now, um, last weekend, not this weekend, but last weekend, we had the Paul Tripp marriage conference. And Paul Tripp, I'm just always thankful to the Lord for his ministry because he always says things in a way that are really helpful to me. So here's one of the statements he made, and I remembered it or thought about it when I read this verse. Here's what Paul Tripp said. The biggest lie of our day is this. No one understands you better than you. The biggest lie of our day.